Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic Bertolius, her host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today again. We are going to have a great show for you today again. Well, we have, of course, our resident folks coming with that information. Michael Rodney is saying there is finally some accountability for their actions in 2017 that started. Uh, let's see what it that started our nation down the most recent path towards blatant fascism. White nationalists liable for millions in damages for Unite the Right Violence jury fines. Yes, they're going to get so far $12 million, people. That's what they're going to have to give up so far. Can you believe it? It's really happening. It's really happening. $12 million to the taken away from the white supremacists. They ain't got the money to pay that, but you know, that's okay for now. We're just bankrupting them one after the other. Michael Rudnin says Stephen Colbert on Rittenhouse verdict. If he didn't break the law, we should change the law. Bringing a weapon across state lines, inciting violence, then claiming self-defense for the actions he himself incited, then getting acquitted? This might be a sad point. But can you imagine the same outcome if Rittenhouse was white? It's amazing that you brought that story. Hey, I'm wondering, my friend, if you are reading my notes because I have a piece to play for you on that. Anyway, ABQ says, watching from Twitch. Bridge MCP says, hey, y'all. Or hello, all. One she says in Facebook. The other one she says in, uh, what is the other one? In YouTube. Okay, continuing. Let's see. I think I have this one here on my, let me get to the other screen here. I've been having some issues with these browsers, as I've told you guys. Uh, we don't yet have them resolved. I'm still trying to figure out what it is that triggers them. ABQ says watching on Twitch. Uh, ABQ also says, child COVID cases are on the rise, jumping 32% in latest surge. Children account for 25% of the cases, but only 22% of the population. A worrying trend line as COVID hits younger and younger people. Ebet Avery Herod, our union specialist, union activist, the one that's helping change the world for workers. Welcome aboard. May Wood. Hello all from Long Beach, California. Maybe all those ships that are in the bay in Long Beach, it seems like Biden is giving you a helping hand to kind of ease it out of the bay. Is it working? I don't know. I think it is because they say the stores are going to be stopped. So I guess it's working. The poll. Michael Rudnan says, as winter COVID surge begins, 74% of Americans say their lives have turned to normal, returned to normal. I foresee a massive case spike two weeks after Thanksgiving, as our people clearly have learned nothing from last year. Sadly, it's an easy prediction to make, as if we are all too predictable. Yeah, but you know, let me tell you what may be the saving grace. There are two saving graces. The, the hospitals are going to be clogged up again. This is my opinion. It's all I can give, an opinion. My opinion is that, that, that it's going to be clogged up again. It's going to be clogged up again. But for those people who got their, their vaccinations, which are many now, I think we're approaching 60-something percent. For those people who are getting their boosters, etc., you know, those who haven't gotten their boosters, some probably will get some breakthrough infections that make them sick for a couple of days and get better afterwards. But I think in the long run, we should do fine. In the long run, I hope we will do fine. But I tell you what, let's go ahead and get Catherine Ambos. Welcome aboard. Uh, I think you're a newbie and you put the number seven. Tell me what seven means. Is there something that the number is supposed to mean that I don't know? You know, I love learning here. Anyhow, 
let's go ahead and get busy. We're going to start with our author and the uh, the author of and the founder of writers and editors of color. I mean, I want everybody to stick around and listen to what's saying there. Booster Tom. Where's Tom? I don't see it. Peggy Lopez says, hi, all because of the rise of childhood COVID cases. Not doing my balloons. I live in the Tea Party Central and I have recently had a close COVID call with a friend. I am self-testing daily for the holiday. You go, girl. Bridge MCP says, Catherine Ambos. Hola, como estas? All right, let's go ahead and get busy and play our interview for today as I queue up the other videos that I need to get ready for playing. But anyhow, let's get busy. Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have a very, very special guest, Alison Gaines. It's a writer, editor, and activist scholar who believes the pen is mightier than the sword. She calls herself on her Twitter page, a womanist wife. You're going to have to interpret that for us a little bit later. Allison is the co-founder uh, of W-E-O-C, Woke. No, that's not Woke, W-O-K-E. That is writers and founders, writers and editors of color. Allison Gaines, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Hey, look, let me tell you, um, I got introduced to your organization by a good friend, an excellent writer. His name is uh, uh, Dominguez, Arturo Dominguez. And um, it was one of the best introductions I've had. I mean, uh, I've been writing for a long time, not as professional as many of the people in your group, but it was just refreshing to see a group of, you know, of, of people writing the way you guys do and having the passion for doing it. Tell me, first of all, a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, um, and I am um, born and raised in the South, but I've traveled a lot. And right now I'm in Puerto Rico. I've been in Puerto Rico a couple of years. Um, and pretty much right now I'm pursuing a PhD in psychology to build off of my master's. Um, and I write every day and I edit and I like to work with and help other writers. And um, everything I do is through like an activist lens. Well, you know, there's something that you said in one of our meetings, and we're going to talk about woke and when, when we meet and all that sort of stuff in a little bit. But there's something that, that you said was striking, and it's something that I, you know, I've even incorporated um, as, as well. Uh, I don't know if you know who Tom Hartman is. He told me something similar about writing as well. And I, when I heard you said, I said, man, I get to get, get, get a bit more discipline as well. You said that you isolate X amount of hours every day that you dedicate to writing something. Talk, talk a little bit about that. So yeah, so every day I start my day with writing for at least two hours. That way, no matter what is going on in my life, I know that I wrote a little bit. And even if I didn't publish or finish something, I feel like two hours is a good jump off spot to commit to writing. Now, why do you do that? I mean, I, I know both of us are activists. I know I do it because Every day something happens that I have to talk about. Why do you do it? Like every day, um, white supremacy doesn't take days off. So I feel like there has to be some of us that feel the same way about it. And I wake up and I just know I'm going to find a story that is important enough for me to share with others or, you know, just to educate myself as I educate myself to educate others. So I feel like that's really my motivation of why I do it. And also, like, when I tried to do it another way and not put writing first, I didn't get much writing done. Yeah, but, you know, actually you gave a great segue. You brought up the 
the mythical phrase white supremacy. And um, it, it is interesting because here you formed a group called uh, Writers and Editors of Color. Did we really need a group like that? I have an answer, but I really want you to, I want you to expand on that. I feel like yes, because um, we have to understand that um, writers and editors of color have been marginalized. And a lot of times they don't have access to the same networking opportunities and connections that um, traditional or white people have. Um, and so I find that the organization was necessary because um, at a time when we're dealing with this racial reckoning and people are coming together, I wanted it to be something that was open for black people, but also people of color, because we have this shared experience as being marginalized by white supremacy. I mean, you bring a lot of different kind of writers writing about just about everything in woke. And recently, I on one of your conferences that I was on, every first of all, tell us a little, tell us when you guys meet, where you meet, etc. W E O C woke. Tell us a little bit about right. that first. So you can find us at writersandeditorsofcolors.com. That's where our publication lives, and we meet every Sunday at 12 p.m. Eastern live on Twitter Spaces, and we have a. Um, a writing for change speaker series. So every week we feature a writer. So we interview them. And then the second half, we have an open conversation about writing. We also have a woke slide workplace. And every other week we either do a skills lab or a town hall. And those are on Google Meet. Those are more private. Yeah, well, well, going back on that, where, where you talk about in, in being in the right spaces. I mean, I think it is so important what you're centralizing on. Um, I the the journalistic court in this country has done a disservice not to people of color people of color always knew what has been going on in this country but i think they've done a disservice to the people at large and and that disservice that they've done to people at large has to do as well to them not knowing the real history of the country and having most of the writings of those who've experienced these things filter through the eyes of those who may want to sanitize certain things. Um, one of the things that I, if nobody there is willing to do that. And we're talk, we talk a lot about editors and what the result of editing does. Talk about that and why it is so important that there's this independence that you're creating with your group. Right. So we look at it. Um, some writers feel that when they get edited, especially by uh, by white uh, editors, that oftentimes things that may be important to the story that is related to race are a lot of times watered down, maybe not even intentionally, um, but maybe as a sensitivity to their audience. But that's why what we're doing is so important, because we don't center whiteness. Um, so we center our experiences as Black people and people of color, and we feel like that's important. And I also agree with what you said about it doing a disservice to everyone, because not knowing the entire story and then making decisions off of only fragments of that story can lead to a lot of problems. You know, that has, per in fact, I, I think the situation that we are in right now, the polarization, et cetera, that actually has been ex not exacerbated, but caused by the ignorance of people. And the ignorance of people come from having had horrendous people. People like to talk about journalism as if it is something sacred. We haven't had real journalism. Independent folks, what you are doing, what others are doing in that domain are the ones that are really the ones that will make change. 
and also get people to understand exactly what's going on in this country. You, in fact, I want to bring up one particular story that was, um, there are several stories that's always touching to me, right? But there's one particular author in your series that came on and spoke about having been in an interracial relationship. And she said one sentence that really, that I wanted to expand on. She said, 11 years ago, I was willing to go into this marriage I don't know if five years ago I would have, meaning I would have just thrown my hands up into the air and said to hell with it, let me just concentrate on. And I think I replied to her saying, I am glad you met him 11 years ago and not today because the education that you are providing and the education that she provided within your group, I think was so much more important, not, not to black folks or Latinos or whatever in your group, but to the country at large what do you think about that i think it is important um to 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 teach uh, white people and i do think that it takes a lot of patience mm -hmm. right and i always think it should be voluntary um because so much information is out there but i'm one of those people where i write and i do consider myself an educator so um obviously in my relationship i'm married to a black man but I definitely respect her for sticking with it, even though there was racism and that she had to kind of help him align his values. I think that, that that's transformative because hopefully that will also influence members of his family or people that respect and care about him as well. You know, you just said the magical word, voluntary, right? I mean, <clears throat> right now, what politics done right is all about is audiences, right? Making sure that and I have a whole lot of flack for I'll speak to it. I, I will talk to anybody, anybody, but I am not asking everybody to do the same. I'm saying if you're comfortable to be the one making that change or bring, making that contact, go ahead and do it. But uh, if you're, if you don't have the, the, if you don't have the patience or whatever, I'm not going to hold that against you because you have a right not to be that way. Correct. Right. And that's kind of part of the point of Writers and Editors of Color is it gives us a space to speak about our experiences and whether it hurts their feelings or whether they love it. Basically, we're free from caring about their feelings in that space. Not that our intent is ever to, to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's nice having that freedom to not always have to guard yourself, watch what you say so that it does not offend white ears. You know, it's interesting. You, now you brought up another point, my friend. Uh, it, it, it's interesting that we say we cater our words not to hurt others. What do others say about catering their behavior not to dehumanize us? Explain. They don't really put much effort into caring about our feelings. Like when it comes to, we're talking about the education and we're talking about how learning about racism may hurt white kids' feelings, but no one talks about how it feels to be black and grow up in America and only read one little paragraph about your history. So that's why I think it's so important for us to sometimes stop and just not center their feelings because unfortunately their feelings are already at the center. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting. I tell you, in our program, and in fact, you will have uh, you, you you should have a, a new audience of of probably who knows right wingers as well because I mean we like the idea we don't we don't censor uh, what we talk about we are frank about what we're talk, talking about on all sides left right or anything and I think it is so important for us to centralize on in this case on the most aggrieved which is something 
that isn't done in this country. We are always protecting one class, one hue, and you know what I mean. Go ahead. Yes, I definitely know what you mean. That, unfortunately, since the beginning of this country, it was written into it to provide only rights for white men who own land. So now that we're hundreds of years down the line, we're still trying to broaden what it means to be an American. And I think that a lot of these conversations center about that. And I'm one of those people like you, I don't mind listening to what people have to say, no matter what spectrum. I'm more centered around policies and around solutions to problems. And it's only when those people don't want to address those solutions that I think we run into a problem. But I think that we can do a better job in this country of respectfully disagreeing. Absolutely. And, you know, but, you know, you just said respectfully disagreeing there. That, that's true. But there's something that you can't even disagree about because, I mean, they're, they're just factual. I, Americans don't know and I, I think, believe it or not, that is a, the real fear of th- those who don't want to teach about race. And they're calling it CRT. They can call it whatever the hell they want to call it. It's just about telling about history. The reason they don't want history is that I have this, I have this tenet. Most people, period, bar none, are good. But they've been reared wrong, okay? And it is in that disease that they've had that perpetrates all that goes on. And, and when you start inoculating them with the truth, suddenly they either have to say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy dehumanizing others. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Or they have to say, oh my God, things have to change. Your thoughts on that? It's fight or flight. So either they're willing to run from it and they want to burn the books and they don't want them in their class or they're willing to, or they just want to fight about it. I think that, we have to stop having a war against the truth and against history. Um, the history has ugly truths on both sides. And I think that we need to get more comfortable with those ugly truths because like- Wait, let, not, me, let me interrupt you there. I want to interrupt you there because you just, you just made a Trumpian statement that I don't know that I agree with. The okay. history has on, on both sides. What are the both sides we're talking about? Well, what I mean, I guess what, I'm, what I mean is that I feel like when it comes to history, there, when I, I'm from the South, so I'm used to growing up with people with Confederate flags flying around, and they say the war was not about slavery. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by another side. The right. other side is not legitimate to me, but that side exists, and that right. side is pretty much all that dominates. When in reality, if you even just like objectively read for yourself the letters that each state made when they left the union, each of them stated slavery as a purpose. Right. So, you know, I guess when I say both sides, I don't believe there should be two sides, but I'm acknowledging that we're living in a country that loves right. both siderism. Right. I just, you know, the only reason I kind of uh, did a little pushback there is I don't want anybody to sit down and, you know, uh, you know, I always tell people I'm willing to discuss. I'm willing to even change my mind when proven wrong. What I'm not willing to do is acquiesce to fallacies at That's, all. That's true. You know, and I, it's like, I, the, like the 1619 uh the 1619 project like we're we, we're starting the book club we're all gonna read the book and you are getting ahead of me Allison I, oh. want you to, I want you to properly tell us more about the 69 project okay I want you to properly tell us about the awards that you've won I want you to properly talk about how you've actually been retweeted by I'm getting old. I can't remember her name. Jones. No, uh, yes. Nicole Hannah Jones. Nicole Hannah Jones. So uh, now, let, why don't we go ahead and do that? First of all, tell me about 
1619 project that you guys are working on. And it's actually a woke 1619 project of which many writers are participating in. Yes, it's an awesome project. So it's called The Case for the 1619 Project. And when um, the 1619 Project, before the book was released, Nicole Hannah-Jones and several prominent authors, uh, they came out with it and published it on in the New York Times. So basically, it, it, it ruffled a lot of feathers because it said, you know what? Um, let's start talking about when, when slavery first started and how the role that slavery played in American society and that it continues to play. Um, and that really ruffled feathers. So we got together. Um, our project manager, Ellie Justice, she was the brainchild behind the, um, the whole, behind the project. And she said, one, yeah. let's push back on these criticisms that they have. And I'm like, you're right, because it's so easy to just say, oh, no, they're just saying silly stuff. But I said, no, let's take our time, listen to what they're saying, read what they're saying, and form responses. So part of the project is we're doing uh, responding to the criticisms. We're doing case studies and showing um, lived experiences. Um, and we are advocating for this project to be taught in school. And now that the book is out, we're going to celebrate by reading it, studying it. And pretty much this book is dedicated to the 30 million descendants of, of, of slaves that were um, in, in America. And so basically, um, it's a controversial topic because like we were saying how there's no two sides to history. Well, this is showing the truth. This is showing the, about what happened, but it's a side that they don't like. It's, it, it's a perspective they don't like because they've, they've tried to hide it. So I guess our writing is a way of intelligently, scholarly addressing their concerns about the project so that if someone is interested, but maybe they're on the fence, they might read our case and they might, they might agree that it's a proper thing to teach. That is, that is, that, and I think it was, it was actually retweeted and recognized by Nicole Anna Jones, right? Tell us a yes. little bit about that. Yes. So, um, about a couple of months ago, well, we, we, you know, we tweet at her because we're crushing on her project and <laughs> our, our project is pretty much like, um, just trying to defend her project because she, she's been through a lot, not like personally, professionally, just, she's received a lot of criticism and, um, so I think that she might have appreciated seeing it. We didn't know. It could have went one or two dark. She could have said, like, y'all are little babies. Get away from me. But she seems to um, she seems to like us. And so she's retweeted our stories. Um, and so, like, you know, hopefully one day, if it was a dream come true, we would meet her one day and tell her how great we think her book is and ask her advice, you know? Well, I, actually, you, you already have a, a medium, a $10,000 winner in your group. From the tell us a little bit about that, and that could probably tell her hey, if 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 these people have award winners, just maybe. Yes. So Hal Harris, um, he is the founder of 1865, established in 1865. It's a publication where he shares most of his own work, and he was one of the um, semifinalists for the Medium Writers uh, uh, Writing Challenge. He won $10,000 and they reviewed over 9,000 essays. Um, so we had Hal Harris, we also had Brian, who was a semi-finalist and also another writer with us, Kasira Copes. All so in we're very proud. All in our group of only media, about 115. Mm -hmm. We only have about 115 writers in our group. And out of the people that participated, we had three winners amongst us. That's very, a very good moment. That, that is actually, uh, I mean, that is, that, that, that is great. But I don't know, I don't know if you've listened to any one of my interviews, but I always have a last question that I like to stump everybody with. And it's simple. Actually, it's on me. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Hmm. Um, I guess, I guess more like 
what, where do I see the future of, mm -hmm. of these efforts? Well, where so, do you see the future of Woke? Where do you see the future um, of what you intend to do? I think that in the future, years from now, Woke will be a nonprofit and we will be able to help young um, and just aspiring writers everywhere, writers who have been marginalized um, and help to amplify their writing and their words. Um, and I think that would be something that I could be proud of if that if it was if it was big and bold and, you know, I would just be really happy because just the little feeling that I've gotten so far, we're under a year old. So we started um, at the at the beginning of January. So we're looking forward to our one year anniversary. And we're just really excited about everything going on now and in the future. Well, look, I'm glad to have found you guys because, you know, now I'm as, as a member of the crew. Uh, I, I actually the truth of the matter is I can learn a lot from you guys because you guys are some real writers. This is, I mean, uh, you are serious about what you're doing here. So listen, Alison Gain, writer, editor, activist, womanist wife that we aren't going to get to, but also most importantly, the co-founder of Writers and Editors of Color. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. We'll talk. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope you like that. Let's go ahead and get busy talking to you guys again. Peggy Lopez, hi. Oh, I read that one already. Bridge, Catherine Ambos, welcome aboard. I was planning on getting my booster this month, but after consulting with my primary care physician, I'm going to delay until January after a blood test. Uh, qualify that for me. Uh, I'm interested to me what you mean by getting a blood test. Is that to see if you have the markers and don't need it or what? Tom C. says, Michael Rodney skipping Thanksgiving this year because of COVID and family, grandson, cases spiking in Michigan. You guys are having it hard in Michigan, brother. You guys are having it tough out there. AVQ says, if my antibody levels drop from the previous, we'll get the booster. Got you, got you. That's what I thought. Uh, Bridge MCP, Peggy Lopez, oops, sorry. Daniel Ledo says, five people murdered by a BLM activist. Why is Egberto ignoring it? Five people murdered by a BLM activist. It's amazing. A black person kills five people in a mass murder and somehow he becomes a BLM activist. You guys on the right are great. Uh, Michael Rodden said, w Woke writers and editors of color, you'll pardon me, but co-opting a different group's messaging isn't a good look unless if you are ancillary to that group. Uh, enlighten me. I didn't know that there was another group called WEOC, uh, Michael Rodden. So uh, give me some pointers. I want to see what you're talking about. British MCP says, because... Only extreme right-wing media are saying it. Exactly. Lee Grant says, hey, y'all. Hey, Lee, what's up? Uh, Bridget, my, my conservatives are in the house. Bridge MCP, love her dog too. Yeah, you heard that bark in the beginning. Bridge MCP also say, hey, Lee. Daniel Ledo says, activist lens. That's code word for Marxism lens. Marxist lens. Just like activist journalist is a code word for Marxist propagandist. You love that word, Marxist. I don't even think you ever read Karl Marx. But anyway, can try to kind of spin it the way the right wing tries to do it, my brother. Bridge says, Michael, she is the founder, not understanding your comment. Michael Rodin says, Daniel Ledo, you want to talk about Daryl Brooks? Fine. No political motive has been ascribed, but he was fleeing from a domestic violence incident, a mass casualty after domestic violence. That's part of a trend. Mass shooters, Daryl Brooks chose a different weapon. Agreed. I agree. Michael Rodin, you have a way of putting things simply for Daniel Ledo to understand. But then, of course, Daniel Ledo comes back and says, racial reckoning is code for fomenting race war. No, the only people talking about race war are those right-wing white supremacists. And what I'm telling people, don't fall into their trap. Continue to love, brother. Continue to love. Bridge MCP says, 
Woke, I pronounce it we oak. <laughs> you go, Breach. All right, let's see. Michael Rodden also says, uh, when you have to continually distinguish woke from woke. Oh, no, no. Actually, I see what you're saying. You're saying that right now everybody's talking about woke, W-O-K-E, and that that will conflate with woke. I First of all, I don't know. Is woke, is using, is a woke movement, the W-O-K-E, uh, false movement, uh, less, is it, is it more than a year old or less than a year old? Because, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's an issue, but hey, what can I say? Lee Grant says, the Waukesha incident does not fit the leftist pro pro narrative, propaganda narrative. We will see little of it on PDR. So I guess reading it on PDR wasn't good enough for you, brother. I didn't, I didn't just pass over the message. I could, as I said. Everybody has a voice here. Lee Grant, if you want to bring up BLM and, and this guy, which there was no connection, but you want to say, I give you that opportunity to prove it now. Michael Rodney says, W-O-C, I pronounce it, Wioke. You did too. Okay, all right. All right, Lee Grant, she sure has the racial essentialism down pat. By the way, what is whiteness? All right. Um, I'm going to give you a little short description about that. First of all, whiteness it was only known in america and it just came to be okay it came to be not only to to, to create uh, for capitalism in the form of slavery and other things right it came about to hurt you as well brother lee grant white people just don't know it in general there's we are one human race we are one human race but we got the masters of this country who needed to create a structure to divide so they could segment people into different labor forces, labor unions, labor areas of labor to protect and, and, and serve a few. And with the gradation of these people, and, and one great qualifier was Hugh, a darker skin. In fact, when the Irish came over, they weren't white. I mean, so I think you, you, that is why teaching about history is so important because you learn a lot. You don't see, you know, I'm the one who tell you guys I don't believe in race, but I have to talk about race because we live in America. I have to talk about race because we live in a Western world who weaponize hue. We live in a Western world that weaponize the color of one's skin. Then that weaponization, that weaponization is what we have to fight. Bridge MCP says, whiteness and white racialized identity refer to the way, that white, uh, the way that white people, their customs, culture, and beliefs operate as a standard by which all other groups of, are compared. Whiteness is also at the core of understanding race in America. Whiteness and the normalization of white racial identity throughout America's history have created a culture where non-white persons are seen as inferior. Uh, Bridge, you should have a little commentary along with Daniel Ledo give him a little bit of thought because you as a white sister you get it uh, Daniel Ledo teach white people wow gee thank you so much me must me just ignorant me need to learn me actually yeah you do uh, Paul Fleming ATL checking in Paul you just get no you've been in for a while that's an old message too all right Paul Fleming says ATL checking in bridge MCP black children had to live it why can't white children learn it? Oh boy, I like that phrase. That's the phrase of the day. Black children had to live it. Why can't white children learn it? Bridge girl, you got it on the, you, you hit that one, that nail. Daniel, whoa, I am sure they are both completely unaware of how condescending they are. They laugh and smile while they do it. 
No, I think you're the one that's condescending, my brother. I haven't heard any of these policy solutions yet, according to Michael Redmond. Okay, Lee Grant says, what is whiteness relationship to Western world culture? If you read the, the, the bell curve or other books, you get a false narrative. As if somehow the creation of America, all the great inventions were somehow hue-based. They don't tell you that the cotton gin was created by a slave who know how cotton operates and could clean it. They never told you about the real McCoy and the brakes on trains. They never told you about all these things who were invented by people of color. Remember, inventions are invented by just people who naturally invent, and that has no hue based. All these people have been inventing. It's just that we have a culture that steals invention. In the case of the American system and the Western capitalist system, it's called the patent system. You have people that create and invent things for their life. Get my book, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom. You learn about how the patent system has screwed. Hell, it has screwed me. Amazon screwed me with the patent system when I wanted to develop one click. And they patented one click. I couldn't develop the software. Anyhow, continuing. We were not burning book segment of the program, yet fascists are content with banning books. Conservatives, white parents want to freedom to ban books around the country. Conservative parents are merging moral panics about critical race theory and, and queerness into one noxious package. And it's funny because they're all based on lies. Bridge MCP, not sure, Lee. Europe isn't like us with blacks. That's the definition that came up. Um, Bridge, let me just put a corollary onto that. America has its problem, but America has a large base of white people that are not just progressives in name, but that are really progressive or that would do things right. Let's give an example. While Europe gives the impression that they are less racist than America and that they treat their quote-unquote minorities better, etc., the only country of this Western world, major country, that has elected a black person was America. So um, I have mixed feelings when people try to give more kudos to Europe than I think Europe deserves. Now, when it comes to women, I think what America has is a very, very sad, sexist woman, uh, sexist policies towards women. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but some, with all the machinations, we still yet don't have a woman that has ever grown to be the president of the United States. And as much as when she ran, she was the most qualified. So uh, we have to really temper some of those, in my opinion, as far as how advanced Europe is. And we also have to remember that Europe and, I mean, Bel Belgium and the Congo, France and Mozambique and all this. Look, uh, the Western world, uh, the, those powers, England, meaning the UK, uh, uh, not Norway, but the Netherlands, uh, Portugal, Spain, all those Western countries, they shared in, in, in their, the atrocities that they did in the Americas and around the world, in India and all these other places that they conquered, Africa. They were, during that period, some of the most violent people, bar none. That we are growing out of that is a good thing. But let's, so let's, let's, and, and I tell you what, I, th I still think of America as a place where a large amount of that change can occur. All right, Daniel says, ever hear of Liberia? Yes, Liberia was created by the United States 
to get all the black people out of the United States and throw them into Liberia. That's why it's actually called Liberia, liberation, right? And, and that's why they speak English, and that's why they're pretty damn Western. So yes, I've heard of Liberia. Instead of creating lies and trying to transform America into a neo-Marxist hellhole, we take a page from Monroe and get y'all settled into some place where you can have an ethno-state. No, actually, Daniel, you are trying to create your own ethno-state here in the United States. We just won't allow you to do that because we built this damn place, Daniel. We all built this place. So we are not going to let one group control this place or one set of people control this place. The funny thing about it is, little do you know, you have no control. The plutocracy uses you as a pawn. You are but a slave to the plutocracy, my brother Daniel Ledeau. That's all. Yvette Avery Herod says, great interview. Tom C. says, not sure any group should exclude anyone, not POC. Maybe group could be called writers helping to expand. You know, um, that, that is a subject that we should... You know what, Tom? Bring that to our... Bring that call, that statement that you just made. If you notice what I said is, do we really need a woke? That's what I asked her. And I, I did that to create a discussion. What I'd like... Why don't you bring that subject up? And by the way, folks, for our next Saturday one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, Ask Egberto Anything, let's try to get more than two or three people there. Let's try to get more of you there to have a face-to-face -face and really start talking where everybody gets a chance to put their voice in. And I would like, I'd like Tom C.'s comment to be a topic of discussion. I think it's actually pretty important. Michael Rodney said, Egberto, I already answered and you skipped the replies. Founder of the woke movement to keep aware of the news and something about it. Nope, when you have the continually distinguished woke from woke. I answered that. I read it. Where were you, brother? Carl Cox, Egberto to you, your family. And the PDR posse, I say, happy Thanksgiving. May smarts be with you. Thank you, brother. Bridge MCP says, good idea, Tom. See? Carl Cox says right-wing media is evil. Yes, they are. Carl Cox, when the right-wing media gives their conservative followers their daily two minutes of hate, yep, they're evil, according to Michael Rodden. And Maywood says, Daniel Ledo, well, people who were raised to dislike and or distrust people because of their color or other minors, they were raised wrong. Thank you, because uh, Michael, I mean, Ledo thinks that I'm saying, hey, white mothers and fathers, you're wearing your people wrongly. Well, I've told my dad when he was alive because we were very anti-gay. I was reared wrong in that domain. I atoned for that. I atoned for that. Not looking for a pat on the back. I atoned for it. The first, the first thing about changing is telling the truth and learning the truth. Michael Ren says, Egberto, Kamala Harris was president for 85 minutes while Joe Biden was getting his checkup. I heard that. Yeah, so we did have a black woman president. You, you got that right, Rodney. You had to stick that one in, right? European culture has given us some cool stuff. Note how we all appreciate the depth, the nuance, and descriptive ability of the English language. And what about the depth and descriptive uh, ability of the Chinese, the, the Chinese symbols that create a wonderful language that I don't understand? What about the great cultures of Africa that no one really writes about so you can't really know how powerful it is because you don't really look at it in detail. If you look at people as savages, you can't look at what they really do and the greatness in a lot of their pyramids that are underground, etc., that they do, right, Lee Grant? You see, you don't learn that. And Lee, here's what I want to tell you, brother. Because you haven't learned the truth about other cultures, uh, you are ignorant to them. And in being ignorant to them, you can make a statement like that. Did European people give us cool cultures? Yes. 
but so did Africans, so did Asians, so did everybody else. That's what humanity does, right? Different areas demanded different things. People in colder areas depended on other things. So again, stop looking centralized and, and tunnel vision through the lens of what the plutocracy has given you and start looking at things with an expansive view like most of the progressives in this particular room. Uh, Michael Rudnan, Paul Feynman says, uh, you always say what you are against. I'd like to know what you're for, according to Paul Fleming. Uh, Rudnan says, 100 years ago, women, one, after women got the right to vote, we finally got the first female president on a technicality. I hear you, buddy. I read that one already. Uh, Eric Hay says, we aren't even at pre-pandemic levels of self-production. Why not Biden policies? I think you, you have it all wrong. I think you better look up the numbers. Go to the, B the, the TLM and, and, and get those numbers, brother. I look at it all the time. Uh, Stephen Colbert, 100... I got that already. Okay, let's see what else we got here that's, that I need to talk about. Egberto, there's a delay between when I type something and when you get around to what... No, no, that's not it. What happens is this. When I'm playing the videos, I'm not talking. And I think there's about a 15 or 20 second delay between me saying certain things and it gets out there. I'm not sure, but... I try to tell you guys things right away. Bridge MCP says you're here chatting. Oh, I forgot to ask for my ass. Thank you, Bridge MCP. Thank you, Bridge MCP. Folks, if you are just joining us, if you are on YouTube, please go ahead and click that join button. Click that join button. Become a part of our PDR posse. We really need your support. ABQ, you can't leave yet because there's one video you're going to want to see about Joe Biden and what I have to say about it. So you have to hold up for that one. Uh, let's go ahead and see. Uh, let's see. Uh, para ver, para ver. Uh, YouTube. Go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Politicsandright.com slash YouTube if you don't see the join button on Facebook. And please become a member. Alternatively, you can go to politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Politicsandright.com slash Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N is the way that it's spelled. And we also like PayPal. By the way, folks, those who contribute via PayPal... We keep a better, um, a larger percentage of the of the subscriptions or the or the contribution because it's three percent versus thirty percent. Just just let you know. Uh, please get our books. Our books are very very informative. Please find them at politicsandright.com/books. Politicsandright.com/books. Likewise, you can go to our store to get that hoodie to get and get you know anything that you want. Check it out. Politicsandright.com slash store politicsandright.com slash store and all encompassing support chain is at politicsandright.com slash support gives you all the different ways you can support this program okay i want to play this video like i said i hope uh you're still hanging around because biden did something today in his speech that i loved i want to play this and then i want to interpret it so biden gave a speech today on gas and a little bit more but if anyone listened between the lines, there was a very important message. Check it out. You know, today, though, I, I want to address another challenge that families are facing. And the one I think they're most focused on right now. High gas prices. This is a problem. Not just here in the United States, but around the world. The price of gasoline has reached record levels recently in Europe and in Asia. In France, at the end of the last month, it reached about $7 per gallon. In Japan, it's about $5.50 per gallon, the highest it's been in years. Of course, it's always painful when gas prices, gas prices spike. 
Today, the price of gas in America, on average, is $3.40 a gallon. In California, it's much higher. The impact is real. But the fact is, we faced even worse spikes before. Just in the last decade, we saw it in 2012 when the price of gasoline hit $3.90. We saw it in 2014 when it hit $3.69. And as recently as 2019, we saw it surpass $3 in many places. The fact is, we always get through those spikes, but we're going to get through this one as well and hopefully faster. But it doesn't mean we should just stand by idly and wait for prices to drop on their own. Instead, we're taking action. The big part of the the reason Americans are facing high gas prices is because oil-producing countries and large companies have not ramped up the supply of oil quickly enough to meet the demand. And the smaller supply means higher prices globally, globally for oil. To address these issues, I got on the phone with leaders from other countries grappling with this challenge to try to find ways to lower oil prices and ultimately to to the, the price you pay at the pump. So today I'm announcing that the largest ever release from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help provide the supply we need as we recover from this pandemic. In addition, I brought together other nations to contribute to the solution. India, Japan, the Republic of Korea, and the United Kingdom have agreed to release additional oil from their reserves. And China may do more as well. This coordinated action will help us deal with a lack of supply, which in turn helps ease prices. The bottom line, today we're launching a major effort to moderate the price of oil, an effort that will span the globe and its reach and ultimately reach your your corner gas station, God willing. I've worked hard these past few weeks in calls and meetings with foreign leaders, policymakers to put together the building blocks for today's global announcement. And while our our combined actions will not solve the problem of high gas prices overnight, it will make a difference. It will take time, but before long, you should see the price of gas drop where you fill up your tank. And in the longer term, we will reduce our reliance on oil as we shift to clean energy. But right now, I will do what needs to be done to reduce the price you pay at the pump from the middle class and working families that are spending much too much and it's a strain. And you're the reason I was sent here to look out for you. There's another issue that's a, to be, that we'll be addressing as well. Because the fact is the price of oil was already dropping prior to this announcement and many suggest in anticipation of the announcement. The price of gasoline in the wholesale market has fallen by about 10% over the last few weeks. But the price of the pump hasn't budged a penny. In other words, gas supply companies are paying less and making a lot more. And they do not seem to be passing that on to the consumers at the pump. In fact, if the gap between wholesale and retail gas prices was in line with past averages, Americans would be paying at least 25 cents less per gallon right now as I speak. Instead, companies are pocketing the difference as profit. That's unacceptable. And that's why I've asked the Federal Trade Commission to consider whether potentially illegal and anti-competitive behavior in the oil and gas industry is causing higher prices for consumers. So we can assure the American people are paying a fair price for the gasoline. I also want to briefly address one myth about inflated gas prices. They're not due to environmental measures. 
My effort to combat climate change is not raising the price of gas or increasing its availability. What it is doing, it's increasing the availability of jobs. Jobs building electric cars like the one I drove at the GM Detroit, the GM factory in Detroit last week. For the hundreds of thousands of folks who brought one of those electric cars, they're going to save $800 to $1,000 in fuel costs this year. And we're going to put those savings within reach of more Americans and create jobs installing solar panels, batteries, electric heat pumps, jobs making those clean power generating devices. And by the way, deploying these technologies for each home where they're installed is going to save folks an additional hundreds of dollars in energy cost every year. Let's do that. Let's beat climate change with more extensive innovation and opportunities. We can make our economy and consumers less vulnerable to these sorts of price spikes when we do that. And finally, even as we meet, even as we meet to work uh, out this challenge, it's important to maintain perspective about where our economy stands today. The fact is, America has a lot to be proud of. We're experiencing the strongest economic recovery in the world. I hope you guys understand what he said in this regard. Number one is that what I did is I didn't just say I am going to open up the oil reserves here in the United States because oil is a commodity. You open up the reserve in the United States, it's, it's a fraction of what would be needed to bring prices down after you have a cartel that decided not to pump oil. Remember, there's never a shortage of oil right now. This is a manufactured uh, shortage by the corporate thugs that control the oil industry. Remember that. And for anybody who's talking about oil and trying to defend the oil companies and throw it on the government, they are slaves. They are slaves, they're, 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 they, they are in mental chains because they have allowed the narrative to be created by oil companies who are stiff in them. So here is the deal. This is what's important, people. Very important. He said, I went to China, I went to India, I went to all these other countries and say, open up your oil reserves as well. We're going to put more oil in the market since Saudi Arabia don't want to put the oil on the market, since all these uh, the United Arab Emirates that are controlled by the oil companies don't want to throw the market the, on the market to increase prices, we are going to start giving a little push to put more oil on the market. And when we start making money from selling our oil, these guys are going to start saying, oh, wow, the government is going to be making a profit off of selling the oil out of the National Reserve. We, we, we can't give the government that profit. Let's go ahead and drop the price of oil so we can put it out there. But the other thing he said is, look, the oil companies have been jacking us around all the while. That is why we need green energy. Because if we're on electricity, electricity doesn't know from whence it is generated, whether it's oil, whether it is solar, whether it is uh, gas, whether it is, whether it is wave, whether it is wind technology, we abstract our energy for cars and all of that from the oil thugs. The oil corporate thugs are no longer able to hold us by the pelotas. And that is what that, that speech, when I listened to it, I, I started listening to it, I said, oh hell, Biden is actually fighting without fighting. In other words, he's saying, I am going to get you suckers. I am going to teach Americans that in fact, you guys are thugs. You are fu And then he says, I'm going to investigate you now because how can the barrel of oils continue to drop and you don't change it at the pump? You are profiteering, 
corporate thugs. You're no different than that petty thief. No, actually, you're a lot worse than that petty thief that goes into the 7-Eleven or, or, or the store and steal a dime or, or, or whatever. You are thugs. You are killing people. It's just like the video I showed you yesterday. It costs $6 to make a vial of insulin, and they sell it for $300. Thugs, they're killing people with a smile and a tie. And then you want to, you get somebody who goes and steal a chocolate or steal a, 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 a piece of gum, and you want to throw them in jail? The people that belong in jail are the thugs that are getting a lot of people killed from medicine. And that's why I say we need to nationalize energy, nationalize healthcare, and we leave free enterprise for the areas that aren't essential, absolutely essential for humanity. And when we learn about those concepts about humanity, then we can actually change. I have two more videos, but I don't have the time to do it. So let's go ahead and let me get to your, your questions with the last three minutes that I got. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Lee Grant, part of our deficit of knowledge of Africa may be the fact that they never developed a written language. You see? You see what you've learned? You've learned that Africa doesn't have developed languages. There is a plethora of written languages in Africa. There are just no Western people interested in all these different languages like they are in Latin, like they are in all these other Western languages. Again, what you learn is important, folk. Look it up. Hell, you can just go to Wikipedia. Uh, Eric Hay says, his release will do nothing. Uh, pump more, Joe, pump more. Okay, great. If it doesn't do anything, then uh, what we, we need to start talking about is nationalizing the oil industry. And I would be front and center. Let's nationalize the, the oil industry. Lee Grant says, DeSantis is going to suspend state tax on gas. Uh, gas. That, listen, I love that. Suspend the gas tax. I would like every state to suspend the gas tax because it is a recessive tax. And immediately after getting rid of that tax, you tax the people of a certain income level who use more of the freeways, who burn more of the air and all of that. And that would replace that. that. But what you do, if you just go ahead and say, I will get rid of the gas tax, you are subsidizing the wealthy. You are transferring our money to the wealthy because now that you've stopped taking gas taxes, who's going to pay to fix the roads? You're going to come back and ask us for some other kind of tax, and guess who pays it? Not the wealthy, we do. Again, you have to think through several levels of indirection. You can't allow yourself to be snowed by stupid policies like what DeSantis is attempting. Norman Reynolds says, got nothing to do with pumping, it has everything to do with pimping the consumer. Exactly right. Eric Hayes says, Joe wants you to go into about groceries and... Again, Norman stands with his statement. Let's see what else we got here before I go. Daniel Lado, let me guess. Price and power. So predictable. I, it's predictable because it is true. But only, again, the enslaved mind cannot see that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Yes, union jobs for everyone. I got, oh boy, we got a lot more. I'm going to have to go through. Daniel Lado said, come on, Egberto, give us a complete list of everything you deem essential for humanity to nationalize so we all know you want government to control. Uh, no, actually, you, you know, you want to be enslaved by a few, uh, Michael Ledo. You have chosen to be enslaved by a few that you can't even vote for. I chose to say, we the people should control all that requires by humanity. Roberto Lewis says, Mr. Hayes, Egberto is just calling it out with straightforward with the truth, which most people don't like to hear. Facts, my friend, facts. Muchas gracias, hermano mío. 
Uh, Bridge MTP says, come on, Daniel, tell us what you stand for. <laughs> You're still giving him a hard time, huh? All right, look, folks, we got to get out of here. Don't forget, please, 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 if you are on YouTube, click that join button. Click that join button if you are on YouTube. Uh, if you're not on YouTube, go ahead and click that, uh, uh, go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube to join our PDR Posse on YouTube. You can join our PDR Posse on uh, Patreon as well by going to politicsandright.com slash Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Alternatively, which we, we get a better bang for the buck at PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. But the all-encompassing way you can support us, you can find all the different ways you can support us at politicsandright.com slash support, politicsandright.com slash support. And please get our books. That not only help us, but it also educate. politicsandright.com slash books. Look, folks, my name is Egberto Willis, and you guys know how I must end this show. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and I am what? We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.